Let's pray. Father, as we look to you today in your word, we thank you that you instruct us and that you've shown us how we are to live in relation to you and to one another. And today as we talk about service, Father, you have blessed us with so many wonderful people with different gifts and skills and abilities who already are working together in the church. And so in many ways, I'm speaking to those who get this. But Father, for all of us to, to think once again about how important service is, is really important. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us today from your word as we look at this topic. In Jesus' name, amen. In the church where I grew up, there were many people who were involved in ministry serving in different ways. And that's true of churches all across this country. I mean, that's how the church runs on volunteers who give of their time and energy and are committed to making their church a healthy body of believers. And that takes a lot of thought and effort and working together. And as you think about those churches, You know, for me growing up, there was one man in particular that stood out to me as I was a young boy, and his name was Norval Torkelson. How's that for a good Scandinavian name, Norval Torkelson? Uh, That's a a sturdy uh, Scandinavian name, and that's who Norval was. When I have listened to Garrison Keillor describe Lake Wobegon, Garrison Keillor would have loved Norval. He just had... uh, wonderful skills, and he was a pretty amazing man. He was a carpenter by trade. He built homes, and he built, you know, things you needed in your homes, like cabinets or shelving. I remember in our home on the farm where I grew up, you know, he built our kitchen cabinets. He built our bathroom cabinets. When there was some remodeling done, you know, he put up shelving. He built a desk for my bedroom where I studied through the years growing up. And he was just a great guy, you know, who would do his work, quality work, but he'd sit down and have a cup of coffee with you on a break and talk to the family, and he'd talk about more than carpentry. Norval was also a lay preacher, if you will. He uh, filled in when the pastor was gone. He spoke at other churches, too. He loved God's Word, and he loved to share from it. And I grew up in this Lutheran background, and I remember Norval one Sunday saying, you know, To all of us, he'd say, you know, I don't think we should be afraid to use words like saved and born again, those words that the Baptists used more than we did, because he'd say, you know, they're in the Bible, and I don't think we should be afraid to talk about that and what that means. And when he prayed, he prayed for the salvation of souls. He wanted to see people come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. He was faithful to teach Sunday school, be involved in the men's ministry at the church and other things like that. And he used his gifts as a carpenter anytime there was a repair or something that needed to be done around church. You know, he was there. In fact, when he passed away, they said at his funeral, I don't know if there's a corner of this church that you could find that Norval hadn't done some work on, repairing the roof or the building or things inside. When I think about his life, I think about what Jesus talked about in this passage about serving. In Matthew 20, we have this situation where it's the mother of James and John who comes to Jesus and she has a request. And she wants Jesus, when he comes in his kingdom, to give her sons, James and John, the prominent positions at his right hand and at his left hand. And you can imagine that that didn't go over so well with the other disciples. 
I mean, they're thinking, hey, what's going on here? What about us, you know? We're in this group too. We're committed to following Jesus. Why do you think you should get that position? Or why shouldn't we be entitled to that? And while they were arguing about position and rank, Jesus called them aside and he said this to them. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. He's saying, I understand how the world works. I know that there are people out there that are climbing this ladder of rank and power and prestige, and they want to be on the top, and they want others to serve them, and they want to think that their importance comes from how many people are under them. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. In the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, learn to be a servant. And if you want to be first, learn to be a slave. Now those are powerful words that stuck in the hearts of those disciples. That if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to learn to serve. That's why we talk about this as a church that's why the expectation is there that all of us who are part of the body of Christ have been given gifts and abilities and skills that we are to use to serve God and to serve one another in the church and in our community to make this place a better place in which to live to build the kingdom of God and to help others come to know him So what does the scripture have to say about serving? Well, I'm going to talk about four things this morning as we look at different passages of scripture. The first thing I want to think about is the example of service. And we see that so clearly in Jesus. In this passage where he has just made this statement that whoever wants to be first must be your slave, he goes on in verse 28 to say, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, if anyone had a right to be served, it is Jesus. He's the king over all kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one who is our creator. He's the one who sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's the one who has all authority on heaven and earth. If anyone has a right to be served, it's Jesus because of all that he has done and who he is. And yet Jesus came to serve. He descended from heaven to earth. He laid aside his privileges in heaven. He laid aside the independent use of his attributes, his rights. And he would take upon himself our human flesh. He didn't lay aside his glory. His glory was veiled for a time in human flesh. And he chose to live this life the way we should live, in obedience to the Father. He said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. I speak what the Father tells me to speak. I don't speak on my own authority. I say what he tells me to say. I do what he asks me to do. I mean, he's the the perfect man who lives his life in obedience to the Father in the way that we are to live our life in obedience to him. And he came and he lived among us He identified with our weakness. He took upon himself our sins and he paid the ransom for many. He paid 
the debt that we owed that we could never pay ourselves. Jesus is the supreme example of what it means to be a servant. And to be a follower of Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, is also to be a servant. It's to walk in his steps. It's to become like him. And we see that in the life of the disciples. And I picked out the example of the Apostle Paul, where Paul in his letters often identified himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. He said that in Romans 1.1 when he wrote to that church. He called himself a servant of Christ Jesus. That meant that he was a willing bond servant. He had chosen to be a servant. Just as God had chosen him to be an apostle, when he understood what Christ had done for him, he chose willingly to give his life totally and freely to him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, we hear Paul's motivation. This is the reason why he did that. He said, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He looked at the example of Christ when he demonstrated his love for us by going to the cross And he said, if Christ was willing to do that for me, if he loves me that much, then that love constrains me to show my love in return by giving my life fully to him. We see it in the example of missionaries like C.T. Studd who made that famous statement, if Christ be God and died for me, then there is nothing too great that I could do for him. There's nothing. He gave his all for me. He, the one who is the Son of God, laid down his life for me. How can I do anything less than to give my life fully to him? Paul was constrained by love. Duty alone isn't enough to see us through. And there are some people who don't really know Jesus, but maybe have grown up in a church, and they feel like, well, I need to do these things, and they do that out of an obligation or a duty, or maybe they've seen it in others, but they kind of do it grudgingly. Well, I guess I'm supposed to go to church, or I guess I'm supposed to serve or teach or help or do things, or I guess I'm supposed to give something in the offering. And it's grudgingly done because they don't have that personal relationship with Jesus that is motivated by love. In a commercial a while back, there was a young man who was struggling with whether to go through with an arranged marriage. In his home country, arranged marriages were the norm, but he had lived in the United States for a while, and he was having second thoughts about adhering to this custom, especially since he had never met his wife-to-be. And still, when she was going to fly into the airport, he went there to meet her. You know, she's going to get off the plane, go through baggage. He's there to meet her. He's dutifully got some flowers in one hand, and he's kind of going along, okay, I guess I'm supposed to do this. But when she stepped through the terminal, everything changed. She was beautiful. And when he saw her, his attitude changed from one of dreaded duty to a delight as he got to know her. What had changed? He had seen her. And often people serve God out of obligation. They drag themselves to church. They force themselves to serve others, but their hearts aren't in it. We can be like that guy at the airport who's grudgingly holding the flowers. We're trying to live holy lives because we know we should, but it's a burden 
It is joyless. That's not the way the Christian life is supposed to be. And what changes that? It is seeing God. It's when we get a vision of who God is and we truly come to know Him as our Savior and Lord and we come to see how much Jesus loves us. We see His glory, His beauty, His kindness, His goodness, His grace. Obedience ceases to be something that's a dreaded duty, but it can become a joy. Now, there's a cost involved in serving Jesus, and Jesus was really honest about that. Often in his ministry, he would turn to the crowd and he would speak about those issues. One of those times was in Luke chapter 14. And in that passage, he said that anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, they knew what that meant better than we do. They knew When they saw someone carrying a cross, it was to their death, to their execution. And crucifixion was a horrible way to die. It was a one-way journey, if you will, that they were going to lay down their life. And here Jesus is using that as an example that when we become a Christian, we need to die to self. We need to surrender our rights, if you will, the things that we think are our rights and privileges, and we lay them at the feet of Jesus. We surrender our life to God, and we trust him to lead us and guide us. There is a cost involved. For Jesus, following the will of God cost him his life. For Paul, it meant hardship and suffering, imprisonment, and eventually death. And on top of that, Paul felt this burden of ministry, the weight that he felt the concern he had for all of the churches and believers that were just starting. And for all of us, following Jesus means saying no to self and giving of our time, our energy, our resources to serve God and to serve others. If we think that serving will be easy or without some cost, we are mistaken. Pastor Kevin Miller asked his friends and members at his church one day this question. He said, what makes it hard for you to serve others? And their responses were probably pretty typical of responses that we might give too. Here are some examples. One person said, serving is hard when it doesn't fit into my schedule or plan. Like, when I want to go for a walk or when I want to take a long bath or when I want to, you know, watch this TV show but my aging parents need me to sort their meds or run an errand or simply be with them. It's not always convenient. Serving is hard when a person's need seems endless, you know. I don't really know that I want to step into this one because it's just going to suck everything out of me. It's going to be really time-consuming or demanding. And so we're hesitant to get involved because that could be hard. And sometimes those situations come about and they aren't by our choice at all. I think of those of you that are caring for um, elderly who are struggling with dementia or Alzheimer's and how hard that can be and how much energy that can take from you to be there with them through those years. I think of those of you that had a child that was born with a severe disability or needs. And there's a grief that goes with loss of some of your hopes and dreams that you had for that child that maybe aren't going to be realized in the way that you thought they would. And there's grief. 
And that takes time and that takes energy to care for those children with their needs. We sometimes struggle because we feel like there's such limited energy after a demanding workday. Our basic responsibilities, whether it's caring for our children at home or working in business or a trade, and we put our time in and we have our commute time on top of that, how do you balance the need for rest and self-care with serving others? Pastor Miller said my favorite answer was this one, what makes it hard to serve others? Others. That's what makes it hard. And I think we all, we all kind of get that. You know that people's lives can be messy. And when we step into them, serving is messy. It's not neat. It's complicated. It's not an easy or quick fix. It is costly. It's inconvenient. It is draining at times, emotionally or physically. It is demanding. But thankfully, not all service is like that, is it? That's the reality. There are going to be times when it is hard and it's costly to get involved. But on the other side is the joy that comes from serving. And when you experience that joy in helping others, that surpasses everything else because it is in serving that we become like Jesus. And it is in serving others that we see him work in us and our hearts are changed and we're blessed in the process of helping someone else. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, that each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak or do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Each one of us has been given a spiritual gift, and we are to use that to serve others. We have talents. We have skills. We have life experiences. We have church and discipleship experiences that we can share from. It becomes this rich um, kind of reservoir as we grow older where we can help others to become followers of Jesus Christ. And what is really cool, I mean, you know, those gifts vary. Some of you will have a gift of teaching. Some it's helping. Some it's giving. Some it's leadership or administration or encouraging or it's in worship where we have those who come up and lead us in worship. We need all of those skills. And what's really cool is when you are serving in your sweet spot where all of that comes together. You know, when I say sweet spot, I'm talking about like when, if you play tennis and you just hit the ball in the sweet spot on the racket and it's like, man, that felt good. And it goes flying off your racket. Or when people play golf, you know, and they just hit that ball right on the club and it's on the sweet spot and it doesn't take as much energy to hit it even farther than you normally do when you hit it right and it feels so good. When you are in your sweet spot of ministry, it's where your gifts and your passion align with your area of ministry. And then it becomes this great joy. And you hear people saying like, wow, I get to do this. Can you believe that? I get to do this. I love to study God's word. It's amazing that you pay me to do this and to teach. I mean, I love teaching and doing all of this. 
And it is a joy to be able to use those gifts and see how God blesses and works in the lives of other people. I asked our staff team to answer the question, what gives you joy in serving? And here are some of their answers. Terry, who works with our middle schoolers, said the thing that gives me joy in ministry is the chance to build relationships with so many wonderful young people in our community. We have a great group of students that come through these doors on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sundays, and those occasional Friday nights. Talking to them and getting to know them gives me great joy. Kim, who works as our treasurer in her finance area, said her joy comes from watching God work through the various ministries and the numerous people that come here and to think that I get to be a part of that. That what we do is just one small part of the whole, but it contributes to that, and there's joy in seeing how God uses it. Pastor Ken said his joy comes from seeing people find meaning and purpose for living through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Ken has a heart for evangelism. Kelly, in our children's ministry, said, I love the feel of working on a team. We face challenges and victories together. It's that camaraderie that comes. And she said, I love seeing kids learn new things about God and take some of their first steps spiritually. Pastor Jason said, I get joy from, from serving when I see how Jesus can transform someone's life. Whether it's a non-believer coming to faith for the first time or a Christian experiencing a spiritual breakthrough in their life in some way, it is always so exciting to see the power of God at work in someone's life. Tina from our office said, I love the fellowship of being with other people. It's also fun serving with students to see how they've grown over the last few years. Lisa said, uh, she works in our preschool and nursery. She said, I find joy in ministry as I know that my ministry allows parents to be fed and nourished in worship and listening to the sermons and the fellowship that they enjoy. Jim, who works in building and ground, said, my greatest joy is serving others by ministering and meeting their needs, whether expressed or unexpressed. He loves to see this facility ready for you to use in ministry. And Rochelle, who works in our office, also said that what gives me joy is to pray for our church family and to see the answers to prayer when they come. Praise God. What about you? What gives you joy in serving? What excites you when you think about using your gifts to be a blessing to others? Well, fourthly, Jesus tells us that one day there will be a reward for the service that we have given. In this life, I think that joy is one of those rewards, the joy we experience from seeing God use us, the joy we experience in fellowship, being part of a body of believers working together. I think we are encouraged by spiritual fruit when we see that. I mean, when we see people come to know Christ and grow in their faith, that is energizing. When we see lives that are changed by the gospel and we know that we had a part in that, or when we know that our giving in the offering or our praying for people who are serving in missions around the world or that our involvement in one of our ministries to children, youth, adults, or working on the building of grounds, for example, or in worship, that those are making a difference in the lives of others. I've been thinking about the past 30 years and what God has done here, and I, just, I stand in amazement 
I mean, I, I praise God for what he has done, and I thank him for the privilege of being here. Do you know that last year we had 114 white roses set out for people who have come to know Christ during the year through you and through the different ministries of our church? That's just one year. When I look back over the past decade, it's been between 70 to 100 people every year who have come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Uh, We had 17 baptisms this year, 32 members. We have people that are coming to our church new all the time, coming to know Christ, growing in their faith. Uh, We've been encouraged by what God has done in these churches that we have planted in Osceola and Wyoming who are ministering to people that we would not minister to just because of their location. One of the greatest joys for me is to see what's happened in the area of missions through the years and the people God has raised up from our church. The joy of partnering and working with two unreached people groups. And an unreached people group is an identifiable group who do not have a church, do not have the scriptures in their own language. And we have been working with two groups through the years where there have been Bible translation projects and where there are church planting movements beginning among a people who did not have the gospel before. That is awesome. And in our church, when I came here and we started this ministry, God laid it on my heart to pray for 20 people who would go on into full-time ministry in some area. And in the years that we've been here, we have had over 30 people who have gone on into full-time ministry yeah, for at least two years, some are a shorter commitment to missions that say, you know what, I'm going to go to a specific location and work for two years or three years. Many others have been career missionaries or have gone on to be pastors and youth ministers. But over 30 have gone from our church. More than one a year, and we have six more in training that I know of right now and others that God is calling. And I'm praying for 50. I'm praying that one day we will see 50 people that God has called out from our church in those areas. We've had the joy of partnering with other ministries like the Salvation Army, Union Gospel Mission, Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. We give to our local food shelf. We are involved with the refuge, the dwelling place, options for women, our own sharing shop ministry, and others that work to meet needs in our community, not just in the church, but in this whole surrounding area. And we praise God for what he has done and the privilege it has been to be a part of that. And you know what? There are blessings still to come. In this life, as we continue to follow Christ and serve him, but especially in eternity when we stand before him. One day, for those who have served well, Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You know, I can't imagine anything greater than to stand before Jesus one day if we have given him our best for Jesus to say to us, well done. And I want you to come, and I want you to join me for eternity and enter in to your master's happiness. Praise God. No one outgives God. You've heard this passage before, but in Mark 
10, verses 29 to 30, Jesus said, Truly I tell you that no, one's who, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. God is no one's debtor. There's no one who has given up things for the sake of the kingdom that will not receive a hundred times as much, more than we would think or imagine. Along with it, there will be trials and suffering and persecution, but in the age to come, eternal life. So where will you serve? And what will you do? Many of you are already involved in ministry in the different areas of our church. And I just want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for your willingness to use your gifts and to give so freely to the church and to the Lord. For those that aren't serving or maybe are looking for another area to serve in or to work, there are always needs that come up. And today, in response to this message, I mean, we have for, you know, an application today, if God's speaking to you out in the foyer on the tables to the side, there are sign-up sheets where if you would be interested in helping to serve as an usher in our church, a greeter, nursery, awana, maybe you're interested in working with children and you'd be willing to be a substitute teacher or to meet with another teacher in the classroom to learn how to do that. Maybe it's worship. Maybe you have skills vocally, instrumentally. Maybe you'd be interested in drama. We're looking for some younger people to help in the area of drama, some young adults in particular. Uh, Stephen ministry, becoming a caregiver, going through that training. Sharing shop, helping with the setup or takedown. Uh, we have this special project setting up the playground Tuesday night. If you can come and help with that at 5 o'clock or any time after that up until it's dark, That'd be great. I mean, there are all kinds of needs and areas where your gifts can be used. If you have an interest in that, put your name down on the list and indicate what that is, and then we'll have our staff get back to you uh, this week or in the weeks ahead. But thank you so much, all of you, for what you do. Now today as we close, we don't have a closing song today on a communion Sunday. I'm going to close in prayer. And I do want to mention to you that as you leave today, we have a 30th anniversary pen that we want you to take as a reminder of 30 years of ministry here at Lakes Free. Use it. Uh, say a prayer for the church when you do or remember the church and give thanks to God for what he has done. But we wanted to celebrate in that way. So as you leave today, you can pick that up from the ushers we were thinking of for the teenagers and up if you go ahead and grab one. And wives, if your husbands are at the men's advance, uh, they got pens up there. We brought a bunch up there too, so they were taken care of. But now would you please stand for our closing prayer and benediction. Father, thank you for the blessings that you have poured out upon us and upon this church. And we give you the thanks for that, for the things you have done in the past as well as we look forward to the future and we want to be faithful. We don't want to rest on what's happened in the past, but we want to trust you for new adventures, steps of faith, and be obedient in the future as you call us. And now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations.
forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.